The first reading comes from Psalm 133 on page 443. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And the second reading is the book, it's not a very long book, of Philemon on page 845. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to me and to you. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing you, that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'd encourage you to uh, keep that part of God's word open. Uh, that letter we just had read from Philemon, we're going to be looking at it a little more closely. 
let me add my welcome. If you're new visiting amongst us, it's great to have you join us. Uh, delighted to have you uh, join us today. And if you're somebody who likes to say Philemon instead of Philemon, um, my apologies. I, I grew up in another area of Sydney, so I say Philemon. And I hope you can bear with it and we can still manage cross cultures to hear God's word together. Uh, but why don't we pray uh, that God might speak to us. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and gives life. Uh, we thank you that it is uh, refreshing and we pray that you would refresh our hearts by hearing your word today. Uh, help us to, to listen carefully uh, to what you have to say to us. May your spirit work in us uh, to show us where we need to be changed and may we find comfort in the goodness of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, over um, 100 days in 1994, uh, between 800,000 and 1 million Rwandans were slaughtered. Uh, that's nearly 20% of Rwanda's population that died in just a tiny window of a few months. Uh, I'm not going to detail uh, the things that occurred there, but as you'd be aware, that it was all at the hands of their fellow countrymen. The details are shocking, but, but perhaps it's more shocking uh, for us when we take into account that 90% of the population of Rwanda claim to be Christian. Uh, now, I'm kind of not assuming that 90% uh, statistics actually you know, equates to 9 out of 10 Rwandans who, who are disciples of Jesus and genuinely want to follow him. Stats are never quite as accurate as that. But it does raise the question, how can so many people who claim to stand right with God be so wrong with others? Uh, an InterVarsity Fellowship leader in Rwanda, a guy called John D. Roth, explained it this way. Missionaries preached a gospel about having a right relationship with God, but not necessarily a right relationship with each other. That's why we can be 90% Christian and yet kill in the name of ethnicity. Now, taking us to the extreme example, the, the uh, absurd example of the Rwandan struggle, uh, to bring it a little closer... And so it's not just a problem for people over in Africa. Um, uh, a church I was once at uh, had two sister-in-laws who would come regularly to church and one would sit right down at the very front in the front row and the other would be in the opposite back corner. Uh, and they would never speak to one another. Uh, and in fact, it was kind of well known that they didn't get on, um, although the reason why it was a bit more of a mystery to us. Now, don't get me wrong, it's nowhere near the scale of um, the atrocities of the genocide in Rwanda, but I want to say it's the same absurdity. You know, people who come thinking, I can be right with God in that vertical relationship, and yet it doesn't matter, it doesn't touch on how I treat others, the, the horizontal. You know, they existed in this church, and to my knowledge, uh, no one else in church actually said anything, I certainly didn't. Uh, everyone recognised the state of affairs, and we just politely kept the status quo. Uh, as we look at Philemon this morning, what we need to grasp with and re wrestle with is is how the gospel is going to reshape not just your relationship with God, but your relationship with each and every one of his people. In God's kindness, God has put a very short little book there for us uh, in the Bible so we can understand what I'd say is a very simple point. Relationships matter just as much as doctrine. Okay? Relationships matter just as much as doctrine. Uh, Paul is writing to a dear friend, a fellow worker, a guy called Philemon, gives him a very warm greeting, greets the, the church that meets in his house, and he mentions his prayer for them. Verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray 
that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So Paul starts it off and he's saying, I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the faith, Philemon, that you have in Jesus. I'm thankful for the way that you love saints. That's a fancy way of speaking about loving other Christian people. That's who the saints are. Uh, And his prayer is that that Philemon will share that faith. Um, He doesn't have in mind, I suppose, how we use it in our culture. We talk about sharing faith as being evangelism. It's not so much that. It's more living out the joy of fellowship with other Christians, sharing all the good things that they have together. It's kind of the stuff that Scott took our kids through. Uh, very helpfully for us this morning. Uh, he wants Philemon to be able to delight in all the joy and goodness uh, that it brings. That you know, There is a payoff, there are lots of payoffs, but one of the payoffs of knowing Jesus and having a good understanding of the grace and peace that comes from God is the good relationships it creates with other people. But as the letter goes on, we see um, his love for the saints, which he gives thanks for, Philemon's love is about to be tested. Okay, so after this warm welcome, Paul moves on to why he's bothered to pen this letter. He wants to persuade Philemon to welcome Anesimus back. Uh, Anesimus to be welcomed back on the basis of love, we're told in verse 9. Anesimus, in the words of verse 16, welcome him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. So filling in the backstory a little, um, uh, it seems that Anesimus has run away from his Christian master, uh, Philemon. Since escaping somehow in God's good providence, he's ended up kind of in Paul's company. Uh, Through getting to know Paul, he's actually come to know Jesus. Uh, And so in verse 10, uh, Paul fantastically calls him his son. Uh, The the language there literally is kind of he's become a father to him, he's begotten him uh, in the faith. And so in verse 11, now Onesimus is now useful. He's useful to Paul because in verse 13, if you keep skipping down through there, um, he wanted to keep holding on to Onesimus because he's been actually really useful while Paul's been in chains and he's been helping him with the work of the gospel. So Philemon over here has been wronged by a slave who ran away. But Paul, ever so gently on the basis of love, is saying, you need to overlook that. You need to welcome him back with the kind of love and affection Uh, that Paul himself deserved in verse 17, welcome him as you would welcome me. Uh, This this letter is is really a, 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 you know, Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. If you're aware of it, uh, the son goes off, claims the inheritance, wastes everything, and yet God the Father, uh, telling what the story is about, welcomes back that wasteful son. He welcomes back humanity who are wasteful. And here we see that kind of parable played out with people-to-people relationships. It's a letter about the problems of relationships. You know, it speaks about failure and the need for intercession and returning and forgiveness and restoration. Loud and clear it says relationships matter just as much as doctrine. Yeah, we need to be people who are, who are passionate about doctrine and getting it right. But by doctrine I mean you know, right understanding of God. Uh, Christians in the past have fought for it. We need to keep fighting for it in our generation uh, you know, read Paul's letters to, to Galatians uh, and Romans and you kind of say, yeah, he's serious about having doctrine right. But we mustn't fight for doctrine, love doctrine at the price of relationships. It's certainly true people are led astray by false teaching. But in my experience, more people depart church 
uh, and in turn depart Christ over soured relationships, not doctrinal differences. Uh, someone was telling me of some online conversations he's having at the moment with some atheists. Uh, I don't know how people get in those conversations, but he manages to. Um, they're fairly antagonistic atheists at that, uh, fairly aggressive. And what he's told me is, as he's had these kind of online conversations longer and longer with a variety of different people, what keeps coming out uh, is actually each of these people have been burnt uh, previously by, burnt ex- by church experiences. Yeah, behind, behind their, their kind of aggressive philosophical objections are actually people who are hurt and hurting. Yeah, relationships matter just as much as doctrine. Uh, and to, to not grasp that is, is to miss the opportunity we have uh, in verse 7, as verse 7 puts it, to have our hearts refreshed. Uh, as we look at Philemon this morning, there are three ways in which I, I want us to, I suppose, reshape our relationships in light of what he has to say. Uh, one is we need to welcome across barriers. Uh, secondly, we need to forgive at great cost. And thirdly, we need to persuade as peacemakers. Uh, let's look at those, each of those three. So welcome, forgive, persuade. First of all, we welcome across barriers. So Paul, he doesn't just ask Philemon, take your slave back. Come on, get on with business as usual as though nothing's happened. Now that Onesimus is a fellow Christian, the relationship isn't just a working one anymore. He used to be kind of a, you know, one who was useless and a slave. Now he's a son and a brother. So there's a little kind of pun, Paul was obviously feeling in a humorous mood when he was writing this in verse 11 where uh, he, he mentions Onesimus becoming useful. Um, he's playing on the, the, the name's meaning. Onesimus literally means useful. Uh, and so this slave who in running away had become useless after coming to Christ is now profoundly useful to both of them. In verse 15, um, his escape guaranteed, or his return, that he was back for good. Uh, again, it's another play on words. Onesimus is going to be back permanently, but he's also back eternally in fellowship. There's a change. Onesimus is actually more than just functional. He's not just, oh, isn't it useful to have my slave back? No, no, no. He's one returning as a loved family member. That's the change that the gospel does to relationships, that other people in Jesus are brothers and sisters. Um, it's staggering. John Calvin, when he was commenting on this letter, wrote, it's important to know the depth of his condescension in calling one who is a slave, a runaway and thief, his own son. You know, that issue, issue of slavery um, has been a big part of Christians reading this letter over the centuries. Um, some Christians have misused uh, this letter as a justification to, to keep going with the practice of slavery. Uh, They point to the fact that Paul doesn't outright uh, come out and declare, you know, you must free Onesimus. I've got to take into account elsewhere, Paul does uh, condemn slave trading. So in 1 Timothy 1, uh, he uh, he encourages slaves to get freedom where they can in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, And as we kind of wrestle with, you know, thinking about what it is to welcome people, we need to be careful uh, as we touch on the issue of slavery not to uh, impose our impressions of slavery on it. So... I think most of us, when we hear slavery, we think gone with the wind. Uh, we think the deep south. We think uh, plantations and the new, you know, the colonies of the Americas. Um, and also, it's very different the kind of slavery of the first century to that kind of slavery. Uh, now, don't get me wrong; in no way is slavery ever ever glamorous. 
but there were important differences. Um, the, the slavery of Paul's time was not racial. It was purely economic. Uh, and in Paul's time, it wasn't as brutal uh, as those kind of images and the recordings and, and records we have of the cotton plantations. Though there were instances of brutality, um, you know, there were actually some freedmen in Paul's time who would choose willingly to go into slavery because there are actually more advantages. You could get further ahead by being a slave than for some people low on the ranks of being free. So education, high positions were available to slaves. Uh, and when you were freed from slavery, you were returned to full rights, you know, again, in a way that you know, the Americas didn't experience, you know, hence great guys like Martin Luther King, a long time after emancipation, still are fighting for rights of uh, people of a different colour. Yeah. But even knowing that, what Paul is doing is actually subverting the nature of slavery. You know, more than just doing away with brutality and injustice, um, welcoming as a dearly loved brother actually sows the, the seeds for slavery's downfall. And I want to say that's the beauty of what the gospel does to our relationships. Um, it subverts all the barriers that our culture keeps wanting to put up. So we as Christian people accept other Christians as, 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 as family in Christ, and not in terms of age or wealth or background or lifestyle or education. And what goes on there is we're helpfully cracking the barriers that segregate us. One of probably my favourite Bible study groups ever was a group at a previous church where we had people in every age decade from the 20s through to the 70s. Uh, there were grandparents, there were young parents, there was a single mum, uh, there was a retired single man. You know, there were city professionals and there were tradies. Um, essentially, we really had nothing in common. And yet it was fantastic because we welcomed each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. That's my, my hope for you know, our church here, our 945 service, that, that we continue to be and always grow to be uh, an all-age, all-stage service. We are not uh, a family church. We are not a young family service. We are an all-age, all-stage service. And we need to keep being that. Because if we're restricted by the barriers that our society puts up uh, between people, we haven't grasped the wonder of the gospel. Now, rather than being content with situations in the world where one Christian takes advantage of another, uh, Paul's call to Philemon pushes us to be people who seek justice. You know, again, even over international borders, you know, where, where most of the modern slavery exists. It's, it's why, and that's more why the box still here? No, it's disappeared. That Operation Christmas Child is an opportunity to kind of care for those a long way away. It's why we have fair trade markets and, and support that where, you know, our, our tea and coffee in the morning is fair trade in the idea of trying to care for those people. Um, we are called to welcome. Secondly, we've got to forgive at great cost. Uh, Paul offers in verse 18 that he is going to happily bear any debt that Onesimus owes. And there would have been a debt. So we, we don't know how long Onesimus had, uh, had done, been on the lamb, but for um, every day that he was absent, Philemon would have had to be hiring another worker to do his work. You know, he deserves restitution. But it has to be restitution to fix up the relationship, not for vengeance. Yet forgiveness has to be at the heart of this runaway returning. And for Philemon, that's going to be costly. You know, it's, it's going to be costly relationally. You know, there's going to be this cultural pressure on him to punish a runaway. So all his kind of class of people, the people, you know, we all like the respect of people of, inverted commas, our, our type of people. You know, all those people would look down on him for being soft for not punishing this guy. 
Now, mercy might be popular in Christian circles, but uh, you know you just have to look at the reaction to um, uh, the, the freeing of the Lockerbie bomber Al Megrahi on compassionate grounds to see that you know forgiveness is complex and not necessarily popular. Uh, it was economically risky for him too. You know, if, if he's going to receive back an SMS. Uh, as a brother, it's going to send this message out to the other slaves, and about a third of the population in those days were slaves, um, that, uh, uh, you know, the reward, if you run away, is you get a warm reception when you come home. In one sense, you can imagine Philemon is actually enslaved to do what the culture expected of him, to not show forgiveness, to just give hard justice. But in forgiveness, he can actually break that cycle of evil. Uh, as verse 6 put it, he can actually enjoy all the good things that we have in Jesus as we share our faith with other Christians. Yeah, that, that's what the gospel reshapes our relationships with. It, it wants costly forgiveness to be given. Uh, there isn't a place for those sisters-in-laws I mentioned earlier on who, who sat at opposite ends of the church. You know, they can't act like one another is not there. You know, whatever happened in the past, it's, it's not on. Someone summed up Jesus' teaching um, on this subject as forgive or go to hell. I feel a blunt way of putting it. But, but essentially Jesus, when he's speaking and he told parables um, of how he would lavish forgiveness. But if you want to take that and not pass it on, you've actually never understood it and you can't receive it. Just as it cost God to, to you know, to forgive us deeply cost him with, with Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, even as he hung dying. It's not going to surprise us then that, that forgiveness should be costly. Now, the ever helpful C.S. Lewis wrote, We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. He observed that we need to forgive our brother 70 times 7, not only for 490 offences, but also for one offence. You know, the idea that uh, 490 is so big and so absurd a number, you kind of think, it's unreal, I'll never actually have to get there. Um, it's not particularly demanding then. But to forgive one person once, that's real, that's costly. You know, for me, reading over Philemon this week, I've been reminded how easy it is to you know, bury the hatchet with the handle just close enough to the surface so you can pull it out at an opportune time. You know, that you, you, can, you can pretend there isn't a problem uh, and you can offer forgiveness, but you just hold on to that grudge for a later date. You know, I want to say, if you, if you struggle with that, if there are people coming to your mind, as we even speak this morning, who you go, I need to forgive them, I need to restore my relationship with them, uh, keep asking God to, to help you understand how much he's forgiven you, that you might have the resource to forgive others. Because it's hard work. Again, Again, to Lewis, he wrote in, in uh, some published letters to a fictitious friend that he rose from prayer and felt he had really forgiven someone he'd been trying to forgive for 30 years. It's hard work, it's costly. Third and final thing, um, we need to persuade as peacemakers. Uh, people have criticised Paul for being a, a harsh, dogmatic kind of guy. I think it's unfair. Uh, but this is Paul that he's compassionate and you know, most gentle and playful self. Uh, the, the tone is loving persuasion. Why? Because the manner has to match the purpose. It has to keep showing, the manner has to show that the relationship matters because that's what he wants him to see. Relationships matter. And so he keeps referring to himself as a prisoner. 
uh, you know, his own status as lowly. Uh, verse 1, verse 9, verse 10, verse 13, verse 23. Don't expect you to look at them all. Um, just get the, you know, he keeps saying, I'm a prisoner. Why? Because it's a little more easy for him to accept that Onesimus, the criminal, can come back if Paul himself has that kind of status. You know, in verse 8, Paul is trying to, to reduce his authority. Um, you know, just, just instinctively, a, a word from Christ's apostle was inherently a command. And so what's he do? He, he tries to downplay it and say, no, no, I don't, I don't want to order you around. Instead, verse 9, I, I appeal to you on the grounds of love. Uh, in verse 14, you see um, he doesn't want to do anything without his consent. He wants it to be spontaneous. He doesn't want to force Philemon's hand. Because he wants reconciliation, but to force that kind of reconciliation would undermine it all. You know, if he used powerful language of orders and commands, he'd be reducing Philemon to that level of a slave. It would undermine that new relationship the gospel's creating. So his role is not to demand restoration, but just to persuade Philemon that peace would be really good, wouldn't it? to give him godly teaching and then give him the space to, to kind of work out that ethical decision. Now, because relationships matters, how you go about bringing peace with other Christian people matters just as much uh, as the end result you're aiming to. So uh, leadership of a, a church I know of was passionate, really passionate about proclaiming Christ and they were passionate about everything being the very best stand it could possibly be. Tip-top quality, absolutely everything, because it was for Christ. But for them, uh, that meant, for the leadership team, they mistreated relationships behind the scenes. They would, they would crush people with different initiative. Uh, they would you know, overlook the categories that should define our relationships. You know, they wouldn't respect age or, or gender. Um, all because they, they wanted the quality outcome. And, and they did. Like they, they had you know, great sermons, great kids' programs, great product but crushed Christians who weren't free to make their ethical choices. Uh, in contrast, I was told uh, by someone they shared with me recently how their father, especially uh, when they were in their teen years, um, always used to present them the facts, not the conclusion, uh, so that they could wrestle through it with godliness. And, and he, you know, he'd obviously weight the facts in a certain way to make it clear what he thought was the wise path uh, in which this person should take. Um, but the manner in which this father did it, allowed the person to be comfortable to make their own decisions. It's that persuasion that respects relationships. Uh, you know, again, as I look over Philemon again, it's an area, you know, been brought to my attention, I need to keep working at it. To, to, to lovingly persuade in a godly outcome, not just force convictions on others. Because there's a purpose, restored relationships. Uh, in verse 22, he looks forward to when he's going to be restored to Philemon to, to kind of catch up personally with him. But Paul intentionally writes this letter not just to Philemon. Did you notice in verse 2, it's actually to the whole church? Because Philemon's going to have to make some big ethical decisions and he's going to need the shared wisdom of others to get through it. But even more, there's no value if Onesimus is right again with Philemon but the rest of the church rejects him. Paul wants real peace, real restoration. You know, I want to say it wasn't just those sisters-in-law at the opposite ends of the church who were in error. Uh, it, was, it was all of us at church uh, who wouldn't intervene to help fix that. Uh, we didn't grasp what Paul knew, that relationships mattered. You know, relating to God matters, doctrine matters, but how we relate to others really matters. Uh, we need to be people who welcome and forgive and persuade. 
And may God give us the grace to actually do that. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for how highly you value uh, relating. We thank you that uh, you would give up your son, that we can be right with you, but even more that we can be right with one another. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be people who uh, value relationships the way that you do. We particularly pray that we would be people who are inclusive and welcoming, that we'd be seeking uh, peace with others. And we pray for any of us today who, uh, who need to forgive other people, that you would help us to see how much we've been forgiven so that we might forgive them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.